Well, our singing this morning has provided a good introduction for this sermon. Our sermon text is a song. It's a psalm, Psalm 98. And in singing out together, we have had a good warm-up for what it is this psalm has to teach us. I invite you to go ahead and turn to Psalm 98. You can find that in the Pew Bibles in front of you on page 500. As always, if you do not have a Bible of your own, you're welcome to take that with you as a gift from us. Take that with you to read God's Word, what it is He has to say about Himself. As you're turning there, let me go ahead and give us the main idea for our sermon this morning from Psalm 98. The main idea is this. We are called with all creation to sing to the King. We are called with all creation to sing to the King. Reading now from Psalm 98. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. In this psalm, we have a song with three stanzas or three verses. So in stanza one, this is sung by the nation of Israel. Who then in stanza two is joined by the nations of the world? Who then in stanza three are joined by all the natural world? So these three stanzas will serve as the outline for our sermon this morning. So for those who are taking notes in stanza one, a nation sings. This is verses one to three. Stanza one, a nation sings, verses one to three. And then in stanza two, all nations sing. All nations sing, verses 4 to 6. And then in stanza 3, all nature sings. All nature sings, verses 7 to 9. So let me start with stanza 1, a nation sings. And as a heads up, I'll spend most of my time here this morning. Let me read again from verses 1 to 3. O oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. 
He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. This first stanza is a victory song sung by the nation of Israel. It's sung in celebration of what the Lord has done. He has worked salvation for his people. We're told that this is a new song. And while this is a new song, it is a familiar one. Israel sings this song on the heels of a new victory because the Lord has again worked salvation for his people. But the Lord has worked salvation for his people, Israel, many times before. As you read through the Old Testament, if you read it enough, you will find countless times the Lord has saved his people. Even in our recent sermon series that we concluded in Genesis, how he has preserved his people when facing infertility or famine. You read the Psalms any amount of time, and you will read and hear a similar song to what we see here. We've even heard a similar song read this morning in our congregational reading. And then here in Psalm 98, the Lord has provided yet another occasion a new occasion to sing this song. You may be familiar with the concept of a fight song. So those of us who are fans of college athletics, you may know or sing, perhaps if only you hum the tune of the fight song of your favorite college or university. And these fight songs, they're played in anticipation of a game or often in celebration of a game that's just been won. And now depending on your fan base, some of us experience these victory songs more often than others. Well, for Israel, this was their fight song. This was their victory song. The Lord, by his power, had worked salvation again. Now, in the immediate and kind of original context of this song, Israel's salvation is a physical one. The Lord has granted Israel victory in battle over their physical enemies. But you and I know that the Lord is in the business of more than just physical salvation. His business, his work, is spiritual salvation as well. Here the Lord has preserved Israel physically so that they may live unto him spiritually and with all of their being. And he has granted them victory so that others, including you and I, may see God as God and gain spiritual salvation. And so, in this respect, Israel's victory song is not just a song for Israel to sing. Friends, this is a song for you and I to sing. A moment ago, I mentioned that depending on your fan base, you may experience victory songs more often than others. Well, friends, it's also true that depending on the basis of your faith, you will or will not experience spiritual victory. It is the Lord who accomplishes spiritual victory. He is the one who has defeated sin and death and Satan. And for those who are in Christ, you will know 
this same victory. Christian, because of the basis of your faith, that is faith in Jesus, your salvation is one. And this is your song to sing. A a word to non-Christian friends who are here this morning. I want you to know that we're glad that you are here. We want you to be here. And you are welcome here. And we want you to hear this as well. There is no spiritual victory apart from Christ. There is no spiritual victory apart from Christ. And so what that means is the very things that Christ has defeated, these things, sin, death, and Satan, they will defeat you. They will have victory over you. But that does not need to be. The Christian is saved through repentance of sin and faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. That is the Christian's victory, and friend, that can be your victory this morning as well. I would encourage you, if you have questions about how you can know this spiritual victory, how you can know salvation from the Lord, to talk to someone you came with this morning, someone maybe who's sitting near you, myself, other pastors will be standing at the doors on the way out. We would love to talk to you more about this salvation, this spiritual victory that is yours in Christ. Well, Israel's victory here is because the Lord had done marvelous things, we're told. Marvelous things. Plural. Marvelous things. This single victory is because the Lord had done many marvelous things. And this is true of every single victory the Lord has won. It is true of every single salvation the Lord has accomplished. Think with me for a moment of your own salvation story. And remember the many marvelous things the Lord has done to bring about your own testimony of salvation. Each one of us has a different story, and yet he has saved each one of us in a similar way. That's because we serve the one true living Savior, the Lord. There is only one Savior. To consider this a little bit further, think with me about the construction of a song. You could think of each stanza, verse, as representing the different details of our personal salvation. But the refrain, the the chorus, is the same, and it repeats, it's the gospel. With each stanza is written a new story, our lives. And there are endless stanzas. And with each refrain is repeated the same old story, the story of Jesus and his love, of Christ who is the Savior and who is Lord. This salvation song goes on. And this refrain is repeated over and over because the Lord repeatedly is victorious. He saves time and time again. We see that the Lord saves time and again because he has the power to save. Look with me. It is the Lord's right hand, his holy arm that have worked salvation. Here we see that the Lord is mighty to save. He is sovereign over salvation. Salvation is God's good plan brought about by his powerful hand. Every salvation 
is God's good plan brought about by his powerful hand. Another reason we see that the Lord saves time and again is because it is his pleasure to save. We're told it's the Lord's holy arm that has worked salvation. You see, God did not have to save sinners. He did not have to save you and me who repent and believe. He is holy. He is without sin. But because of God's great love, he sent his son. Christ, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It was God's pleasure to save. This is the kind of king that that we ought to want to praise, that we can praise. He is both powerful to save, and it is his pleasure to save. And this is a, a great and gracious thing. Because again, you and I do not have the power to save ourselves. You and I cannot do enough good to please God enough that we could somehow save ourselves. But instead, it is His power and His pleasure that has accomplished our salvation. And so, friends, God's sovereign grace towards those who are in Christ, His sovereign grace in salvation should cause us to sing. Israel's song continues in verse 2. Israel sings not just of what they have seen, but they also sing of what has been revealed for you and I, for all to see. The Lord's victory for Israel is a victory revealed in the sight of the nations. It is the nations of all the earth who were intended to be the recipients to see this salvation. This has been God's plan all along. This salvation was promised long ago. And friends, this gives us another reason we see that the Lord saves time and again, because he has promised to save. In Genesis 3, God promised a redeemer, a savior, a rescuer soon after sin entered into the world. And the birth of Christ, this is the redeemer come to save the world. This has happened so that all the world might see Jesus and turn to him to be saved. Earlier in our service, we read of a man, Simeon, in Jerusalem who longed to see God's promised Savior. He gathered in the assembly. He awaited in the temple looking for God's salvation, his consolation. He knew that it would be revealed to him, the salvation would be revealed to him before his death. And so he longed and he he looked that he might see the Lord's Christ. And in Christ, Simeon saw Israel's Savior. Simeon lived to see this promise, this Genesis 3 promise, fulfilled in his lifetime. What a blessing for this man, this blessing from God, What a blessing for the nation of Israel. But what a blessing for all the world. This Savior for Israel has been revealed to the Gentiles as well. By God's grace, this gospel has been revealed in the sight of the nations. You and I are singing this morning of this gospel. And when we we gather, we get to proclaim to one another 
the truth of salvation in Christ. And then when we go from here, we also get to repeat the sounding joy of our salvation in Christ. As a church, we have the privilege of sending workers to the ends of the earth and also supporting them with our resources so that salvation will be revealed in the sight of the nations. Again, I want to speak to the non-Christian and ask, do you see this? Do you see this salvation that the Lord has revealed? Will you allow yourself to see this? I pray that the Lord reveal this to you and that by his grace you will seek the Lord while he may be found. And to the Christian, let us not lose sight of this salvation. We gather each week to be reminded of our salvation, but let us not lose sight. Think of the image of a hologram, sort of a picture within a picture. And you look at it and you see one picture, and then as the picture turns, you see another picture within the picture. And once you've seen that second picture, you, you see it each and every time. Maybe another image, you don't know what it's called, but that, that kind of classic uh, image of the, the, the heavily pixelated photo, and it's an old woman. But then you look at it closely, and actually you see a young woman in that image. You with me? Yes? No? Okay. All right, great. Well, once you've seen that young woman, you see it every single time. You can't help but see that picture of that old woman actually has within it a picture of a young woman. Let that be true of the gospel in our own lives. Our celebration of our salvation, we see what the Lord has given us in his son. And let's continue to see that. Let us hold our salvation in Christ before our eyes and let us celebrate together. What a joy it is to do that together on a Sunday as we gather. And what a wonderful time of year to do that. What better season than the holiday season to remember our salvation and to remember the Lord's wondrous deeds. Well, Israel's song then continues in verse 3. Here the Lord remembers his covenant love. Now, remembering here does not mean that the Lord has forgotten, but rather he is calling to mind the things that he has promised already. Here he is remembering his covenant promises to his people. And God, as a faithful God, will always act in keeping with his promises. He always acts in accordance, as it says here, with his steadfast love and his faithfulness. I mentioned this a moment ago, but what a blessing this was to Israel, but then to all the earth. And let's be reminded, just as the Lord is faithful, it has been his good plan always to bring this gospel to the ends of the earth. So this song, stanza one, which starts as a national song, becomes in stanza two an international song. In this next stanza, all nations are invited to join in singing. Stanza two, all nations sing. Reading from verses four to six. 
Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, before the Lord. So far in this psalm, we've seen that the the dominant imperative is to sing. Stanza 1, sing to the Lord, verse 1. Stanza 2 here in verses 4 and 5, sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord. Later in stanza 3, we'll see in verses 7 and 8, the seas roar, the rivers clap, the hills sing. That is the dominant imperative of this psalm. But notice here also the, the dominant emotion that we are to experience in this psalm, and that is joy. Here we see in stanza 2, verse, verse 4, make a joyful noise. Break forth in joyous song. Verse 6, make a joyful noise. And again, later in verse 8, the hills will sing for joy. Joyful song and celebration is the appropriate response to who God is and what he has accomplished. The Lord has revealed his salvation to the nations, and this brings them great joy as it should bring you and I great joy. Joy is something that ought to, and my assessment is it often does mark our worship, particularly our singing. Joy ought to mark our singing. Why? Because the Lord has done marvelous things, and so joy ought to break forth, it says, from us. Because the Lord has accomplished our salvation, joy ought to be unhindered. Not, not held back, not, not hidden, but rather it should break forth. Just as we cannot help but see that young woman in that image, so our joy and worship to the Lord cannot help but be seen by others. I've alluded to this, but one of the ways in which our joy for the Lord breaks forth is in our gathering together. And one of the primary ways that we get to apply this psalm is in our corporate singing. Because when we gather, we have many different voices. We have people from all different backgrounds, even different nations. The many voices unite as one and break forth in praise and in joyous song to our King. And the gathering of the nations in this psalm and the gathering of our congregation here today not only increases the joy of our singing and our song, but also the the complexity and the skill. So that's the second thing I want us to notice ought to mark our singing. First, joy, but secondly, skill. The Lord's people, they're both to sing and praise the Lord with joy, but also with skill. Look with me in verses 5 and 6. We see singing along with the lyre and the melody, the trumpets and the horn, All these things enhance the nations and the congregation's ability to break forth and joyous song and sing praises. Now these instruments, they were a regular part of worship, Israel's worship, and their skillful playing facilitated singing that was fitting for a king. Their skillful playing facilitated singing that was fitting for a king. I think a similar thing happens when we gather as a congregation. We do want our instrumentation 
to enhance our singing, to enhance our praise. Those who lead us in song led us this morning, and those who lead in each and every week, thank you. The skill in which you lead us in song, it emboldens us to sing both joyfully and skillfully. I love how the music here seeks to complement the congregation so that we, the main instrument, can further our joy and skill in singing praise to the Lord. So let me just give a, a three words here as I think about application for congregational singing. Three headers, three words. The first is preparation. Let us prepare for our gathering and our time of singing on the Lord's Day. I think we can do that in a couple ways. One is in our private worship, using our days of the week to have time with the Lord in His Word and in prayer. Maybe if this is not part of your private worship, you could include singing. A little practice. But add singing to your worship. And then one, if you're not sure where to turn for songs, one thing we do provide, if you're part, if you're part of that weekly email that goes out, is we often have a link, typically we do, to preview the songs for the upcoming Sunday. So that's another thing you could do. You could preview those songs, listen to them, prepare your heart, even sing along. So application would be one, just very briefly, thinking about our preparation, that we are ready to sing to the Lord on the Lord's day. Second, participation. So here, I'm going to highlight that we actively sing. So when we sing, you sing. When we sing, you sing. Now, there may be reasons one week to the next we're not feeling well, but let me encourage you to sing if you're able, to not be so concerned about the skill. Our skills vary, but our joy, that can be a constant. So when we sing, you sing. Actively sing along. And then another is as we are able in our participation. That would involve that, we, that we're we arrive on time to sing, <laughs> right? Many of our songs, people are looking around, hey, honest confession, I was preaching this morning. I came up late in the back. I was telling somebody as I came through the hallways, one of my points of application, I did not abide by very well this morning. I'm going to give it, though, nonetheless. I'm not necessarily the standard. But one way that we can participate is by arriving on time to sing. We open our service in a song. Right? The five of our six songs happen on the front end of the service. And you know what? When you sing, it's going to be a blessing to you. And believe it or not, it will be a blessing to one another. It will enhance our singing as a congregation. I mean that. Even you, and I'm not pointing to anyone, but some of you are thinking, you don't know. No, if you would be here and you would sing, that will enhance the joy of our song. A third header, we said preparation, participation, and then third, anticipation. Allow your joy for the Lord to be infectious. So we may not want to replicate your, your skill, I mentioned that a moment ago, but allow your joy to be something that we would desire to replicate. Um, we, on Sunday, were anticipating the Lord's coming. May he come soon. 
in the week, we're looking forward to our next time to gather and to, to, to worship the Lord corporately. But even allow that, that anticipation of, of singing to the Lord, allow that to be seen. Seen by your family, seen by, by peers, by friends. We want a joy and anticipation of singing and of worship to the Lord. That's something that we, by God's grace, would want to replicate. Well, in our last stanza, nature itself anticipates the day that it will break forth in song. Our song, which has become a song now for all the nations here, becomes a song for all of creation. In this next stanza, all nature joins in. Stanza number three, all nature sings. Verses seven to nine. Let me read those verses now. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Here we see that creation cannot help but worship God. God is God, and as God, he is to be and he will be worshipped. And here this worship includes all of creation. I want us to note that in this third stanza, the song maintains its joy and skill. We may have some morning people here this morning. I'm not a morning person. Um, I do have young kids and uh, periodically preach a sermon, so with that comes some early mornings, but I'm not necessarily an early morning person. But you've had the occasion to be up early in the morning. And in doing so, you hear the world awake. The noises of nature as the day breaks begins to increase. So as the day goes on, the sound of nature gets louder. Or think about this. Not just the early morning, but just being in the midst of creation. Here we have pictures in this psalm. We have the sea, the river, the hills. Well, have you heard the sound of the sea? Have you heard the ripper, ripple of the river? Have you heard the, the howling of the echoes off of the hills? Let that be instructive for you and I. The sounds of nature increase the sounds and the celebration of our praise. Here, as the sea roars and the rivers clap and the hills sing, there's this crescendo, this culmination as it joins the nations in singing praise to God. I think we can draw a clear application here in this passage, and that would be spending time in nature. Spend time, as we have opportunity, in creation. I mentioned creation can instruct us, and we can take our cues from creation. These sounds of creation, they, they serve as reminders, calls to worship the Creator, to worship the King. 
allow the, the beauty of creation, the melody of the sounds you hear in creation to swell your hearts with joyful singing to the Lord. Let us sing to the King. Let us sing of His majesty. We see it before our very eyes. And let us also sing of His soon return. Creation not only sings, but creation also longs for the return of Christ. Creation longs for redemption, we're told. And part of that redemption will first be judgment. In this stanza in verse 9, we see that the Lord comes to judge the earth. And God's judgment, it's actually one of his marvelous deeds that we saw in verse 1. He's done many marvelous deeds. His judgment is one of his marvelous deeds. And his final judgment, which will be sounded by a trumpet, when the Lord comes, he will judge, and it will be marvelous. He will judge in accordance with who he is, righteous, equitable, and he will judge in accordance with who we are, either righteous because of faith in Christ or remaining in our wickedness and sin, either as recipients of mercy or recipients of God's righteous wrath. This is in keeping with his holy justice. And friends, there will be joy on this day when Christ returns, joy in his gracious salvation as well as in his good judgment. So let this once more be a, a, a warning, a, a favorable warning to the non-Christian to hear, to see the salvation of the Lord, to respond in faith. And let this also be a comfort for the Christian. The Lord's salvation is the source of this new song that we sing. And his judgment is, his judgment on Christ is the source of the joy that we experience. So as we see and, and stare and marvel and wonder at his great love, would we long for his soon return? Scripture tells us that one day all things will be made new. There will be a new heaven, a new earth, and we will sing together with all of creation a new song to the praise of our God and our King. In closing, I'm going to have you join in a moment. I'm not going to lead us. Our musicians will come in a moment. I'll pray first, and then you guys can come up. Uh, but in closing, I wanted to share with us, and, and if you look at the order of service, you know where this is headed, that Isaac Watts, who was an English minister and hymnist, in 1719 published a song that was written based on this psalm, Psalm 98. It's one we often sing this time of year and a song that we will be familiar with. I'll give us the first stanza, and then our, I'll pray, our musicians will come forward, and then I'll invite you to sing with joy and with great skill to our great Lord. It says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come, is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. I'm going to keep going. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. 
No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love. Let me pray. Father, we do sing together of your great love, of your great salvation for us in Christ. As we sing even this next song anew, would you stir in us a joy, the joy of our salvation. And Father, would we sing in such a way that is pleasing to you. Not just our voices sing, but the very the very posture of our hearts would that bring you further praise. We sing now together, and we sing in anticipation of that day when you will come again. In Jesus' name, amen.